0: I had two older brothers, so I imagine that was some of the influence. So we were just skating all the time, and I'm up in Canada, and I mean, i mean, in Vancouver, so it's not that cold, but we definitely had some ponds freeze over. Um, so we were kind of skating all the time, and I was in ballet, which lasted like three classes before I think they politely asked me not to come back, um, but I just kind of found my place playing hockey, and that became... A huge part of my life I played every sport that I possibly could but um, hockey was definitely the number one for quite a few years
1: this episode of the smart athlete podcast is brought to you by Solpri if you're active at all whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpri's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all, and treat your body right, go to Sulprey.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L pri.com. Welcome to a very early morning edition of the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a former collegiate and professional hockey player. She is a trail runner currently, so a little bit of a change in sports. Um, she's a run coach at Rugged Conditioning and the host of the Trail Running Women Podcast. Welcome to the show, Hilary Spires.
0: Thanks. I'm super excited to be here, and thanks for chatting with me uh, so early in the morning.
1: Yeah, it, it, you know, thanks for being excited this early in the morning. Um, so where wherever you are listening to this, hopefully it's not quite as early as we're up, but that's what you do when you, you know, need to record a show and the best time for both the host and guest is early in the morning. You just you just get up and get it done. So um, thanks for making the accommodation and, and hanging out with me, um, especially because, I you know, you mentioned you got to get up before. I think you said your son is going to wake up, which then I'm sure throws everything out the window for the day and we just got to take care of him.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that is why I do have to do these recordings usually pretty early. And as you mentioned, I have my own podcast. Most of the time, my guests ends up being in a later time zone, which works great. So I don't have to force anybody to get up (laughs) as early as I do. But once the toddler is up and we also got a puppy and I work full time, it's, uh, it's kind of mayhem, but that's okay. It's fun.
1: I feel like it may, maybe if you if you interviewed guests exclusively from Europe it would be like perfect because you'd, you'd just be getting up and they'd be in like middle afternoon early evening where they'd just be like finishing their work day and kind of settling down for the evening you would just everything would line up really nicely with that time zone jump I think.
0: <laughs> yeah we've definitely done that it is nice <laughs> the only challenging one is Australia where like they are a full different day, and I get it
1: yes. wrong every time. Yes. No, I, <laughs> uh, this is for, for an upcoming product, I'm working on uh, a new sports drink where we're going to be doing like uh, sweat testing and stuff to try to match people's electrolytes um, with what their body uh, loses. It's this, I, I got this kind of machinery from this Australian company, and trying to like coordinate Zoom, you know, Zoom talks with them was interesting. Uh, trying to, make sure that the dates are right where you're like the date for them is a different day from today and it's their morning and my afternoon or we. time zone changes and online web conferences are um, a challenge <laughs> at best.
0: <laughs> I don't doubt it.
1: So, um, you know, I was reading with the, the I'll call a packet um, of information that my assistant sends to me about you. Uh, you started hockey at a very early age.
0: Yeah, my, I had two older brothers. So I imagine that was some of the influence. So we were just skating all the time and I'm up in Canada and I mean, I mean, Vancouver's so not that cold, but we definitely had some ponds freeze over. Um, so we were kind of skating all the time and I was in ballet, which lasted like three classes before. I think they politely, politely asked me not to come back. Um, but I just kind of found my place playing hockey and that became a huge part of my life. I played every sport that I possibly could, but, um, hockey was definitely the number one for quite a few years.
1: You know, I, I've talked to a few hockey players. Um, but so normally I go, well, how did you get into hockey? Cause it's not quite as prevalent in the U S but then once I, I saw, uh, you live in Canada, I was like, well, that's not really that relevant of a question anymore because (laughs) it's like the sport yeah of course we get into
0: hockey yeah exactly
1: (laughs) it's it's more of a question of like um i wish i could remember the gentleman's name who's a a canadian olympian who played field hockey and that was a question i was like what how what with the field hockey instead of ice hockey um because it's more a question of how are you not playing hockey as a canadian rather than why are you playing hockey (laughs)
0: yeah that's actually totally true um but field hockey's pretty popular up here as well but less so on the male side
1: yeah and that's kind of what he said it was like it it was not easy but i think a little easier to get on the olympic team comparatively yeah um and he well in his situation gosh i have to try to figure out how to like look him up right now it was just tough when i can't remember his name um this is what happens when you're a hundred some odd episodes in you start for things start to, you know, escape your brain. But he was like finishing a PhD and playing on the Olympic team at the same time. I was just like, you're out of your mind.
0: Yeah, that sounds crazy.
1: <laughs> um, so you went from playing college to playing pro. Uh, tell me a little bit about your career, I guess. Oh, gosh! That's a loaded question. Um, oh, oh, oh I, I didn't know it's was, it was a hot, hot button topic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no it it really, so I actually played women's professional before I played university. Okay. where um, you're not technically allowed to do that. You can't go back to being, like, quotes amateur. Mm-hmm. Um, but given the women's side, again, um, especially over in the Western Conference, you kind of had, you had um, the Western Conference had Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver. We had actually a lot of people from the U.S. national team come up and play for Vancouver. Um, so like Cammy Grotto, who was the captain of Team USA for a long time, arguably the best female hockey player of all time. People are going to say, Haley Wickenheiser, are you Canadian? But no, I believe it was Cammy. Anyways, um, and then you had most of the Canadian Olympic team playing for either Calgary or Edmonton. And then after that... Um, to fill out the teams it was just they had these had these huge tryouts um but the development probably wasn't as good in that like right under the Olympic caliber area Mm -hmm. so they had to have a few younger players so I was 16 with one other girl on our team who was also 16 we got what's called grandfathered in um, so that we could still go play in the NCAA after so now that I think about it, like I don't even know if I appreciated the wild ride that that was at that age because your friends are all going on dates or, you know, studying and I was hopping on a plane on a Thursday night or a Friday morning to go play three games versus Edmonton and come back and try to do all my work on a plane and then going to like um, the pub to watch like Cammy's brother play who played, co- coached at the time actually, um, Tony Granado for Colorado Avalanche and then Um, like going out with people from the flames after because they knew the women and it was just like it seemed very normal Um, and now that I look back like they must have been like who's this annoying 16 year old (laughs) but it was it was absolutely amazing and it gave um, you kind of this mindset of like anything's possible and you're playing with people who have played in multiple um, Olympic games and that always is kind of you learn so much from people like that and um it was just an amazing experience and then I wanted to go to the Olympics of course um but I would say that I wasn't good enough to go play in the NCAA and get trapped that's a lot of money and still make the Olympic team like I kind of had to make that decision and at the time it seemed like education was probably more important if you could take advantage of a scholarship and go play in the NCAA so I went down and played um down there and yeah it was it was fun i do think i went through like a growing pains of being an adolescent young adult type person and and not as focused as i was as a young kid um and then when i finished playing hockey i just kind of craved that um that structure again, I guess, because it had been such a huge part of my life for so long and the focus on these goals and, um, running was something I always did as a stress relief and I really enjoyed it. And I didn't have to, I wasn't partaking in a whole bunch of races or anything at the time, but I didn't have to, for me, it was about, and it was never about speed. It was always about distance that I could just go out and see if I could run farther than I could the day before, Mm -hmm. uh, which I really got to, like, I guess our kick out of that. And then I found MMA fighting and that I don't think you knew, maybe not, uh, really nope. took over for a little while. Um, and as an athlete, that sport fits me probably a hundred percent. You have to be fit. You have to be strong, um, fearless, and you have to be able to read somebody else and then react to them. Um, or hopefully be ahead and force them into right.
1: reacting Pre-amped. to you mm-hmm.
0: yeah and um and i loved it and uh i had had a knee surgery so being on the mat and the like softer impact seemed to be really good for my body um, mm-hmm. instead of just pounding the pavement right and um had some tournaments and some fights and it was amazing but i got a few concussions and i was getting older And the concussions were actually just kind of freak accidents in training, but they are something that could happen in fights and there's no headgear at what I was doing. And um, it's that started to look like maybe that's not something I wanna do long-term. And at the same time, I was kind of just fiddling around playing other sports. Like I love being a beginner. Um, I absolutely love having no idea because then there's no pressure. Because when I was playing hockey, there was always this expectation. So to play new sports, there's, there's no expectations except to just totally suck. Um, and then one day I just went to a trail race and it was this like magical experience. And I slowly kind of realized that like, I didn't really want to do much else. I just wanted to run around in the forest and I'm still like, I'm brand new at tennis now and I'm loving totally sucking at tennis, but uh, pushing the distance in the mountains just Caught me, and I, I haven't really been able to look back since.
1: It's a lot to unpack in that story.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, I was kind of on a <laughs> there.
1: No, it's fine. Um, yeah, I, I, there was a, a point in my life where I was considering MMA. Um, I'm a, a very, very uh, out of practice black belt in Shotokan karate, and. I had talked to my instructor at the time. I said, you know, I'm kind of interested in that. And um, uh, she said, well, do you like your nose? Uh, if you like your nose, you probably shouldn't do that. So <laughs> I think yeah. that, along with some other conversations, le- led me away from that. And also, I was more interested in running um, and then, you know, ran collegiately. So I was, I earned my black belt when I was 16. So still in high school, kind of similar age when you were, you know, coming to be a pro. Um, in hockey,
0: and karate is very different from the boxing. Right, aspect, right. right. That's the right. part, like the actual impact of the face punches. Right, it's a different thing. But it also was really fun, and like you learn, like you protect your nose. That's just part of it.
1: Well, right. And I mean, I've been, I've been kicked and punched in the face before. That I mean, that. So at, at the point I was at, we were starting to mix other martial arts. Like the the program I went to. So the instructors I had were in Shotokan. But um, like one of the other black belts that came and worked with us and helped construct with us, like he was starting to take Judo and jujitsu, And so we would practice some of that stuff, too, because like, because Shotokan itself, it's it's relatively a stand up kind of um, style. Mm-hmm. And Judo helps, you know, and Jiu Jitsu help fill in a lot of that, like groundwork that you really need. Um, if you're going to go that direction you know if you think about like early UFC fights and you got like the karate guys out there and their geese they're totally. fine as long as they're standing up but as soon as they're knocked down like they're they, they had a hard time yeah um, and obviously the sport developed but um Michael anyway,
0: was a, a really high level MMA fighter as well and that was kind of exactly like we had to get into jiu-jitsu and no gi jujitsu and jiu-jitsu tournaments like ASAP. That was, yeah, yeah, exactly what he said as well.
1: Yeah. So it, that, that sport's been interesting to kind of watch develop. I I, I don't watch it so much anymore. I'm not huge on I think the women my,
0: are more interesting than the men.
1: Well, just like, I think overall for me, it's like from the standpoint of there are people that like watching it because they like watching a blood sport basically i'm more interested in like the tech technical side of it and so it becomes a, like a spectacle as like oh we'll see how much this guy can beat up this other guy and i'm like i don't know that i care about like that kind of vicious part of it so much as like like the technical mastery of, of a particular individual over somebody else so totally it, and you have
0: to know the sport to be able to watch that and pick that out right right
1: right it, it just but the commentary i don't know always lends itself to that particular bend. Um right. so I just go, eh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I, I gotta back up a little bit. Um thinking about y- you playing, you know, professionally when you come around at 16. Uh so you're 16, how whole, how old are the other girls, women that, that you're playing with at the time?
0: My defense partner was 27, which I thought was so old. And now <laughs> It was just a child as well um Cammy at the time was probably early 30s many of the players were 32 35 36 somewhere in there and then a few probably in their young 20s
1: okay that and did, did it strike you odd at the time or were you just like this is this is me this is where i'm at like
0: This is going to sound super cocky, but I think this is part of the reason that it was okay. It was not about age at all to me. It was, I belong with these people as a hockey player and that's it. And I, I was always, always had, especially in female hockey, I always kind of played with older women, not, well, older girls, I should say. I didn't play with older women until this team, but it, I was so focused and probably so mature, not as a human, but as an athlete. Um, with my drive and um, like ability to make choices that would make me a better hockey player that it didn't it didn't feel out of place once I went to university I sort of lost that and it was like I made up for lost time and kind of exploded in a sense but when I was that young for some reason it just fit
1: you know this doesn't really have a definitive answer because we can't live our lives twice um and i didn't have the the exact same experience as you but in a similar sense like i often related more to like adults than people my age and and those kind of things so I, i i'm wanting your opinion i guess on your situation on whether as you said you're you're really mature as an athlete but not necessarily as a human what did that juxtaposition you feel like like Screw with you at all, or or did or are you well adjusted? For a loaded question.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I think it, I'm I'm well adjusted now. I think I went through a period when I when I wasn't, um, and I don't know if it was suddenly when you're in university if you then I am the same age as everybody else and I'm sort of just feeding off of what that life is and I mm-hmm. kind of got caught up in it and. You know we were good friends with the men's team and when I was in high school like I didn't care about the guys at all because they didn't understand having a passion and I just thought that was kind of sad and like it wasn't interested but then you get to university and you've got men who like might make the NHL and not not just because of their them being good at athletes but like they understood um giving things up to be a good athlete and Then I saw how they could maybe behave and still be good at hockey. And I just got caught up in it Um, as far as like staying out later, starting to drink, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just sort of had to go through a time where I just like had to grow up, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, And then, and then it shifted because you do grow up. Um, and I started to realize like, okay, so I don't have to be defined as a hockey player if because the, the idea that this is going to end one day, and all of your decisions have been based around this one sport is really daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of athletes go through that. So then as that comes to the end, it was starting to realize like, okay, I can have um, financial goals, and I can have career goals. And those can drive me. And I don't have to be defined by any one thing, I can just be a person and it's easy to say that but at the same time believing that like i'm worthy of anything without being a hockey player was not was took a long time um i don't even know if i still believe that and that that kind of screws with you but um you do kind of grow up and then suddenly the things that you did as a young kid that made you who you were and the reason i was like a captain of team bc um when i was young not that that's like a huge thing but there's a reason you're in that leadership position at that age. Like those are still qualities that are me. And then they became useful in such things as career and like goals, buying a house, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. does that make sense?
1: Yeah. It's 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 a topic I've been kind of mulling over the last few years. Um, you know, on a personal level, kind of wandering around aimlessly a little bit. You know, you mentioned like after leaving hockey you wanted to come back to something like a little more structured and kind of goal oriented a little bit Uh, and and so i've kind of found myself just floating out in the ether um after like leaving behind my own kind of athletic dreams and so it's something i've been just considering of like uh, you know i don't know i imagine you probably did but please correct me if i'm wrong but it's like i i would um de-emphasize holidays or get togethers or whatever it's like I was more concerned about I need to get enough rest for training or uh, get my run in or what like if if you know if if the Christmas party was at 10 a.m and that's what I needed to go run like that sucks like I, I gotta go get my run in and I'll just come in sweaty afterwards like it, it was I, I, I lived to run instead of ran to live and now, you know, being the age I am and kind of where I'm at in my stage of life, I go, was that the right thing to do? And sometimes I go, no, it wasn't. But then talking to you, I'm like, well, maybe it was. And this is simply the after effect of that. And that's fine.
0: You know what? I think it's like, I totally know what you're saying. And that's exactly what I was like. Like, we, I didn't drink at grad when everybody was because I knew I had tryouts like a week later. Um, and I didn't want anything to affect that. And I think no, like I wouldn't change it, and I wouldn't do it any differently. And I don't think you would have either, because it doesn't um, it doesn't make you happy. Like the structure and the like per- personal fulfillment. And then like, I guess the part I had to go through was being like, okay, is it still worth doing these things if I'm not the best, if I'm not on the Olympics? And then does this become silly? And that's something I kind of struggled with, but it doesn't because I enjoy it. And that's what I had to like, there was so much expectation with hockey. And I think that's why I started playing a bunch of new sports after, because you finally get to a point where you're like, oh, I do this just because I like it. And no one's telling me to do it anymore. And now that I'm allowed to not do anything, I'm still deciding to put training first um, because it makes me feel good. And I can mm-hmm. remember being like 22 and playing on a slow pitch team and being late and someone asking why. And I said, well, because I had to take hundred putts before I got here because I was going through a phase where I wanted to be good at golf. And they were just like, why are you doing that? And I just looked at them like, why the fuck not? Like. because I wanna be good at a sport. And so now like I've come to a place and it's taken a long time where like, I'm never gonna be the best runner. Um, Like I can win a race that I go to if the conditions are right and it's a long enough race and it's difficult and I've trained really hard, Um, but I'm not gonna be like on team Canada for, I'm just old, this is not gonna happen. Um, But I love seeing how good I can get personally and training for things. And it's really, really fun. And it sounds restrictive and crazy to some people, but like I can watch a nine-year-old play baseball and like there'd be two outs in the bottom of the ninth or however many innings they play and a runner on third and a kid like hit a home run. And I will cry because (laughs) this game, sports to me in general are mean so much and I can just see how much they're loving it. So I. Don't think it's the wrong decision I think it's just what makes people like us happy and um I'm super excited that like I'm at where I'm at now because I can watch my son play sports without feeling like I need to push him Mm -hmm. at all but if he loves it the way I loved it like that's just so cool that he gets to experience that and then the fact that we got to play at elite levels like we're just really lucky
1: yeah well you know I find and I've spoken to I, I don't know how many Olympians now um, pro, you know, former pro players, current pros, just, you know, high level athletes. And I find almost universally that they're like, yeah, I'm not going to like, if my kids want to do stuff. Like it's up to them. Like, I'm not going to push them. Yeah. I don't feel like you get that, I don't know, helicopter parent or the like super high pressure parent, Out of people that made it that far.
0: No, because those kids quit when they were 15 as soon as they could. So you're not talking to them because they're not playing anymore. Right. right? (laughs) They're like, my dad, like I knew so many people who, after a bad game, they were afraid to leave the locker room because of how much shit their parents were going to give them. Yeah. And I was like, I could not get my mind around that. And my dad, if I had a bad game, you would just shrug because, like, you're a fucking kid. Like, sorry. no you're fine like I get so passionate about this stuff like I never once felt like my parents were not 100% in my court no matter how poorly I played yeah Um, so that breaks my heart and like that's just what you're seeing is that the people that made it it was still fun to them they're not there because they got pushed by their parents it's so ridiculous
1: right well this I think there's this there's this culture of you know, oh, we're going like, to push the kid, and they're going to have all these extracurriculars, and they're going to go to college, you get a scholarship because of it. It's like, yeah, but what, like, what are you doing to that human? I, I, the, the, I don't have any children. So I guess I'll say that up front. And, and maybe if I had children, I would change my mind. But I, I feel like we, we look at kids fundamentally wrong. At least as an as a U.S. culture, and we say, "Well, they're kids, they get treated a certain way." And my thought or contention is, no, they're not kids; they're adults that haven't reached adulthood yet. And what who they are on their own out in the world is an effect of how we treat them now. So if you treat them differently than you would treat an adult, you know there are deve- obviously developmental like things that you with children that are different than adults. But just I mean, like, respect wise, and like all this extra pressure and, and giving people a hard time about stuff like nonsensical things, like things you wouldn't do to your friends. Um, like, I feel like you're you're fundamentally harming that that future adult.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's really, it's really touchy. Like, like, fundamentally, I was sort of ruined by having only positive um, responses as well, because I started to think like, like they were so excited for me without, Mm -hmm. when I was doing well without, um, because they're your parents and they're excited for you. But as a young kid, I probably took that as like, oh, I'm special and I'm loved because I'm really good. But like, they would have been the same had I like, you know, done nothing but it's impossible not to just perceive it as like getting love because of your, you're being good at a sport. So like, it's so, so what I'm saying is my parents basically did everything that you could possibly do. Right. That's the books say that everything says, and like, it still ends up messing with your brain. So like, it's just, it's such a touchy subject. It's really hard. There's no way to know how to be supportive without being too hard, but having structure without making like, you know, it's just, it's just hard. I think you just have to have open communication about everything, but you're totally right. Like they deserve just as much respect as like, can you imagine if you went to work and your boss, just like you had, you had a bad day at work, like walked you out to the building, yelling at you and saying you were stupid. And like, why would you do that? Like, why would we do that to a kid? You're yeah, you're totally right.
1: Right. Well, to your point, I also have, um, a philosophical point that all parents screw up all children to a greater <laughs> or lesser degree um, so it, which is which is in part just an admission of humanity like we yeah, all make like,
0: right yeah. it's, it's
1: not it's not saying all parents suck it's like i think my parents did a pretty good job in general do i still have issues sure why because there are people like we all have problems we all make mistakes and that is the messy nature of of life um but you you talking about kind of too much positive affirmation reminded me of a conversation i had This was back on episode 106 with aka quokor um he was a uh, 400 meter hurdler trying to make it the olympics and he just he talked about how there's like an adjustment when you know, he 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 was in the NCAA and, and you know competed at a high level. All these things, um, competed professionally, and there's just you get so much attention, adoration, free stuff, like all this positive reinforcement. Because when things come relatively easy, I guess I'll say, compared to like say if I was trying to be a 400 meter hurdler, nobody would care at all. Um, <laughs> So like, you was just talking about the adjustment period when you leave that all behind and nobody cares about you anymore. And you don't get that, all that positive attention that's been like kind of heaped on you because of your, your talents and hard work to that point.
0: Exactly. And that's what I was saying by like, after your sports over and you've identified as a hockey player and made decisions that that it's that same transition. And like, we in university in the NCAA like it's a big deal like people ask for autographs in the mall like it's bananas but yeah. it happens to like young kids there who are excited to see you and I just want to correct you I wouldn't say my parents gave too much positive affirmation they weren't like you know if I played bad like like they were very real about it okay but it was um you can't not be excited for your kid when they do have success yeah and there was like a variety of like that you're 400 meter person, um things going well. And like, you know, you start getting letters from Harvard and grade nine and all of these things. And um, like those are just things that are talked about. Yeah. Which and that, so that like it all, it all adds to it. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, and I the reason I'm stressing this is because I think the too much positive affirmation might be one of my biggest pet peeves in the in the whole world um, like a participation badge or a kid that comes in last, mm-hmm. because I, I think also you do have to celebrate people who are talented at running, because what if that kid maybe is the worst math student, but everybody else, like, so they're not saying, Oh, you participated in math class. Congratulations. They're still giving honors to the kids that do the best. So if the, if somebody's only good at running and they're, they're struggling at math, like you have to celebrate what people are good at as well. Um, so I guess I just hate the like super soft parenting and that's not what I had either <laughs> just as a right, disclaimer.
1: right. no 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 I, I'm with you yeah um yeah well and you know we're talking about karate we had participation in ribbons or whatever karate I don't think uh, maybe I did but I just don't really care remember caring about them much
0: well, yeah because it's a cop-out
1: Right. Like, like we went to, you know, I went to tournaments and I won trophies for actually being in the top four or whatever, whatever event it was. Like I cared about those things. Yeah. But I, you know, I, it's, that's, and then now that being a thing where it's like, you know, people roughly our age being criticized about, oh, you grew up with participation trophies. It's like, well, we didn't ask. Totally. And I just participation think, trophies.
0: Like, and they don't keep score in young kids soccer. And I'm just like, there is something about competition that's good for people and now we can't find staff in BC in stores because you can sit at home and get the government money because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. I'm like, there is something positive about competition and drive. And that's why people make investments in the world because they want to outdo each other. And like, I just saying that everybody should be like fluffy and equal as a kid. I'm not super great high on it either, anyways. This is a totally sidebar, so go ahead and put it back on track.
1: This, this, this well, you probably didn't listen to uh many of my podcasts, but this happens frequently because this is <laughs> this is how I have conversations. Uh, we get off on all kinds of <laughs> weird sidetracks and rabbit holes. Um, but no, I'm just you know thinking about like not keeping track in kids' soccer. I, I I don't know, like, I'm not a child developmental expert you know i i have an undergrad in psych but i did not specialize in um, developmental psychology but just like there's a there's a balance right where it's like you are you got to teach kids skills so if we're playing soccer like you have to teach them how to run with the ball you got to teach them how to shoot you you know eventually you got to teach them how to take pks and like you got to teach them all the skills but There definitely is a point and I don't know when that is whether it's from the beginning or later it's like you have to one of the skills is learning to deal with failure
0: yes yes exactly
1: because life life is full of failure
0: exactly we'll
1: we'll get to this but that there's a question I ask everybody uh, on every episode which I'll ask you at the end which has to do with failure but it's like we don't it's like we shy away from it (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm really, I'm happy that you said that because that, I think that's what was floating around in my bre- brain that I couldn't, Yeah, um, I couldn't yeah. articulate because then if you go to like a job interview, you might not get the job and you right. have to know like, okay, so what do I take away and how do I deal with this? And if it's the first time anybody's ever said no to you or not like, oh, congratulations, you showed up, you get a job, like yeah. the world will be a sad place.
1: Well, right, or, or like the idea, you know, there's this idea, at least for a while, maybe it's still floating around. It's like, well, if I went to college, I deserve a job and it's like, well, let's like I, I I had this conversation with a friend when this came up probably a couple of years ago now, and I was like, well, let's take this idea to the extreme and say everybody that goes to college wants to be a professional pianist. Well, there's not enough jobs for everybody to be a professional pianist, so like does everybody deserve to get paid to play the piano? Like, no, like there are other jobs that need to be done. And that's part of like the skill of learning, you know, how do I be productive? How do I fit in? How do I use the skills that I have to, you know, maximize my own potential? How do I deal with setbacks and failures? Like which there's these like- soft skills in life that like it, 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 we seem to gloss over sometimes.
0: Totally. And it's funny, you're coming from like a, a person who I think mainly played individual sports, but you just described a team, right?
1: Not well, everybody. Right. I mean, I, yes, I played individual sports because I didn't want to rely on my team, but then I end up having a very wonderful team because cross country is a, a team sport. Totally. Uh, but it's like as
0: a, as a hockey player, if you're a defenseman, your job isn't to score all the goals. So where do you fit in? You have to be very good at stopping other people or in the corner mm-hmm. um, and you don't win games and you don't, like I think and they say this to teams too to be like accept your role and be really good at that and that's the same kind of thing that you're saying it's like mm-hmm. you don't build a house with just a hammer like you need all of the tools in the toolbox and like the society does as well so we have to make sure we're uh, yeah like giving people the opportunity to be good at a bunch of different things
1: yeah um I, I don't want to run out of time before I ask you about this and if this is an inappropriate question you're welcome to tell me so um <laughs> Well, because this doesn't really have to do with you so much as on your Instagram, I uh saw you had a picture of your grandma turning, I think, 103. <laughs> and I, I wanted to ask about her and wonder if um is it a Canadian thing? Is it was she playing hockey from a young age? Like how is she because she lo- she looks excellent? Like I wouldn't have any idea that she's 103.
0: Well, she's um, 104.
1: Okay, so yeah, was, but so my point being that like she looks great, like you would think at best she's in her eighties, maybe at least my, my, you know, from that, that photograph. So I just, I wanted to kind of a little bit tongue in cheek ask you like, what's her secret? Um, (laughs) You know, how, how does she still look so good? I assume she's, I think she said she's living on her own still. Like it's a very unusual situation.
0: It totally is. So her siblings, one actually just died at 99, but the others are 96 and 94. Um, one, the 96 year old is a male, which is even more impressive. I think mm-hmm. he flies a plane still. He has to, <laughs> like a little plane. He has to have a co-pilot. Now they make him go with somebody else, yeah. uh, but he still flies. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's a gene genetic aspect that yeah. my dad is uh, looks amazing for his age, as does my uncle, but she was always active um, and not in a way that was like high stress exercise because I, I there just wasn't like they were poor, right? So they right. were trying to, there just wasn't the luxury of taking that time. Um, but she was telling me about when she had Bob, my uncle, um, that they only had two diapers. So she would have him in one and then have to wash the other by hand. Then they had their garden where they grew all their own vegetables and they had their dogs and they had the farm. So Um, she was always moving, always moving, Mm. eating healthy vegetables, fruit. Um, but I think the one thing about her, because she's the smartest person I know, um, university, when my parents were growing up was never an option. It was just what they would do. And that's, I guess the one bit of like really intense structure is that was just kind of expected that they would get post-secondary which Mm -hmm. if you think about how old she is, how amazing that is right? at, at, you know, 50 years ago that her kids would, would go to post-secondary. Um, but she can read a book in a day. And I think it's the mental stimulation, how smart she is. Mm -hmm. Um, and she still, she'll still walk around and go, we take her out for dinner. And, um, obviously she walks around her massive condo that she lives in alone. Um, so movement and, and using your mind, I think are the, are the two keys, but yeah, she's pretty impressive. Like if you are stumbling to remember something from history, she's just like, oh yeah, you know, this, that like remembers, remembers (laughs) everything. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really cool.
1: So what I took away from that is first have good genes, but (laughs) also eat, eat well, move and don't stress yourself too much. That's what I wonder about coming back to trail running um i wonder about you know like ultras are big right and i kind of wonder about the longevity of some of the ultra runners and i you know i i've seen like this is another diatribe but or a tributary of thought but um, i saw like a a post on the running subreddit a while ago about somebody who is running 100 mile weeks after this is the third year that they've been running and i'm like I, I'm skeptical of your longevity. You know, you um, know
0: a lot of people that are like in their sixties and seventies and running multiple hundred milers. And I think, and this is just basically opinion and
1: personal that. Right. It's all conjecture.
0: Yeah. Everybody has, I think everybody's different. And I know that I have a certain mileage per week that, um, things start to break down, but that if I stay under that, um, or like right at it, so about sixty miles, I can do a hundred k a week and feel really good. And that's with a ton of elevation, not on road, but in the mountains where I'm hiking a lot of it. The ground is buried. I feel amazing. Mm-hmm. I ran a hundred thirty-five k race last weekend, um, that went super well, and I had knock on wood zero aches and pains after. Like it's kind that was kind of like the perfect distance, but there was. Um, there's over 21,000 feet of elevation. So obviously the, the type of movement is really varied throughout that, Mm -hmm. but I can survive at that pace and doing big, long weekends at a comfortable pace, just under that junk mile, um, and feel really, really good. As soon as I start adding speed to things and speed on road, then I have to be more careful. So I think when if you get these ultra runners who are on soft ground and they're going at a very comfortable pace, I think that they can last a really long time. And I think that's why you don't see 70 year olds at the start line of a 50 K, which like in the ultra world is kind of a red line. Right. But you see them at a hundred miles because they're just moving through the forest.
1: Right. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, Since I, you know, I'm, I think we, Maybe we, we talked about I, i'm trying to get back into um like cross country and, and thinking about trail and stuff although i'm interested in the short short stuff yeah, like so ten, you're because well, you're, you're
0: going faster and it's harder on your body
1: right yeah so like I, right now i'm at like just finally again knock on wood at like just over 40 mile weeks and most of my stuff is you know road sidewalk i get a little bit of um grass and chat trail here and there but um, I would say 80 percent of my miles are on hard surface um, this is a this has been kind of the breaking point a couple times since we've been building base base back in from triathlon and so but even like college 60 miles is about all I could handle before things really started to break down and then putting the speed on so yeah I think I think there's probably some some uh, efficacy to thinking about that like personal mileage threshold. And then also like what surfaces you're on. Um, But okay. So we're, I know we're getting close to time. So I got to ask you my, my season question that I was asking everybody. We're talking about failure earlier. um, And (laughs) well, why are you such a failure? No, that's not the the question. Um, uh, The question I'm asking everybody this year is how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal?
0: How do I stay motivated after failure to reach a goal? I think there's two aspects. I think in a small failure, like um, in July, I ran 100K that went really terribly, um, but there were very obvious reasons. Then it was extra motivating to be like, okay, I'm not that poor of a runner. I'm not that shitty of a runner. Poor is not the correct word there. Um, those are things I can fix and I can do better. And now I'm exponentially more motivated to prove it to myself, to anybody that cares. Um, And so I buckle down and then I get the reward of last weekend, having a race where everything went great. Um, And it went well in the standings and it went well physically. Um, And that is so much fun to be like, I failed, I fixed it and look what I can do and that transfers, not like look what I can do, but like personally, like I'm in control to make things better and that transfers into like, you know, I can be a better parent, I can improve anywhere. Um, Overall, like say my biggest dream going to the Olympics and essentially failing at that is a deeper question and that's more challenging and that is having to accept that that doesn't mean that I am a failure overall. Um, And that's way harder said than done. And then trying to decide, like, am I doing these things to prove that I didn't waste my athletic ability or am I doing them because I enjoy them? Um, And making sure that my motivation is coming from a positive place and not from somewhere where um, I'm never going to be satisfied because I'm never going to win a race and suddenly go back in time and achieve that first goal. Mm -hmm. And so that was something I really had to work through for a long time and probably still am. Um, but it definitely became apparent that I do do these things because I love it because it brings me so much joy. Um, and like I said, I know that because I get just as much fun out of being a super shitty tennis player or watching a kid play <laughs> baseball than I do from winning a race. So, yeah, um, yeah.
1: No, that's a that's a great answer, um, Hillary. Where can people find you, get in touch with you, hear the podcast, all that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, a podcast called Trail Running Women's. So it's on where any podcasts are out there, and um, it's a lot like this. It's a casual conversation, but we just talk about the regular life that people have and go through their stories that also seems to lead them to running really long distances in the mountains. Um, it's a lot of fun. So find us there and then find me on Instagram at Hillsport, H I L sport 55. Uh, and the link to the um, podcast is there. And yeah, this was really fun. I really appreciate uh, you inviting me on your show and yeah, I had a lot of fun. So thanks a lot.
1: Absolutely. And for everybody that if you're on YouTube, those things will be on the screen. If you're not, or even if you are, those will be down in the description and below. So you'll be able to click on those and don't necessarily have to type them all in. Just easy to find her that way as well. So thank you so much for joining me today, Hillary.
0: Yeah, thank you.